Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Cloud Insiders, the podcast that brings cloud down to earth. Thanks for joining me. I'm Oliver Happy, your host today for this discussion about business continuity and disaster recovery, or DR. As always, head over to cloudinsiders.fm for show notes and in this case, to access the free DR toolset provided helpfully by our friends at Data Barracks. Let's get into it. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Today I'm joined by Peter Grocutt, the MD of Data Barracks, and Peter Grant, who will be known as Pete Grant, the CTO of Extrovert. Morning, Ollie. Uh, morning, Oliver. Nice to be here. Excellent. Now, uh, thanks for making time for us and looking forward to getting into the content here. So let's begin with you, Peter. For those who don't already know, who are Data Barracks and what do you do? So Data Barracks, are a, uh, we're a managed service provider and we specialize in the backup and recovery of IT systems. And we, we're, we're very keen to kind of point out the, the difference between, you know, a, an, an online backup platform and what we do, which is fully outsource the operation. So we go to companies typically with a high pr proportion of knowledge workers and a high reliance on their IT systems, but generally with a, with a fairly small IT team to support that. Uh, but businesses that really kind of um, understand the value of, of their data and, and they have an attitude which is, look, we would, we would rather focus our technology people uh, on driving innovation and, uh, and, and leveraging the technology for the best use that the business can make of it rather than getting bogged down in the weeds and doing the heavy lifting of backups and disaster recovery. That's where we've come from. So we... We're a very boutique firm looking at all of the different, you know, changes that people are making to IT infrastructure and um, how we can innovate around um, making sure that, that those systems are always available. Very good. Thank you. So taking a step back then, just for those who aren't already aware, what is business continuity and why is it important? Business continuity is, uh, in very high-level terms, the ability of a business to continue serving its, its customers in the event that it has some kind of disaster or event which would otherwise prevent it from, from continuing normal operations. And business continuity spans the entire operation of a business. So that can be from a distribution warehouse, logistics of vans and trucks and relocation of people and communication between suppliers and, and teams and global offices. Uh, and where we sit in that is the continuity of the IT systems. So we focus very much on IT disaster recovery and the ability of the IT systems to survive a catastrophe. And we then sit as part of the broader business continuity uh, plans that a company might have. Okay, so perhaps we should also define disaster recovery and perhaps contrast that with disaster recovery as a service. 
So disaster recovery is, as it sounds, the ability of a business to survive a disaster. And I guess we're going to get into what kind of disasters businesses would be planning for. But in high level terms, it's, it's exactly that. Now, what we do is very specific around IT disaster recovery. So disaster recovery, for example, could include a fire at a remote office that would constitute a disaster, would um, invoke a disaster recovery plan, and that may or may not include the IT disaster bit, which is would be dependent on whether there was any uh, systems involved in the, you know, in the building, etc. So the business continuity piece is a very high-level, structured process which governs the ability of the business to continue trading. Disaster recovery is then the very specific parts within that business continuity framework of how to recover from the disaster. The IT disaster recovery sits within the disaster recovery bit and is how to recover from a failure of IT systems from whatever, you know, whatever event caused that. And just to rewind, Oliver, it occurs to me that I never actually answered your initial question, which was why is it important? And that's really more and more businesses, of course, nowadays are becoming more and more reliant on their IT infrastructure. We look at collaboration and communication and enterprise resource planning and HR and finance systems as being pretty much digitized across the vast majority of industry now. And really to lose some, any or, or all of those systems for any prolonged period of time soon starts impacting and hitting the bottom line of the company. So the, the quicker that we can put a business back on its feet, the smaller those losses are, and the greater chance that a business will continue to trade after a catastrophic event. Right. Okay. So what sort of market factors and emerging issues and threats have led to this focus on continuity? Because it's something that's certainly a buzzword in the uh, media. I mean, it, it's always been there, is, is the honest truth. I mean, I, I, I remember doing DR tests when I worked in a bank many years ago, and we would all go from, from one building to another building, and we'd plug ourselves in, and we'd, we'd get ourselves uh, working. And really, when we started Data Barracks some 15 years ago, what we spent a lot of time talking about was, you know, the fire, the the, the flood, pestilence, you know, and, and it was really around protecting the physical infrastructure that people had running their applications. Fast forward on a couple of years, the risks started to change somewhat. Virtualization kind of went from being something used broadly in, in test and dev into production environments, and the risks were much more around, you know, we, we were seeing disasters where people were doing firmware upgrades on their SANS, for example, and that was causing some kind of corruption. And the, the risk was very different. What you'd gone from is you'd have a physical server that went pop and saw somebody made a mistake, and you'd lose a piece of an application or all of an application. Whereas in the era of virtualization and widespread adoption of, of that, you could have a problem with a SAN that could replicate even if you had 
high availability and that would take all of your workloads down. So you'd, uh, the, the mitigation strategies that we started to employ started to be different. Now what we're talking about, the biggest threats are around the cyber security. There are many reasons for this. One of the major ones, of course, is that, you know, is, is that mass crime is going online. Um, the days where we can uh, go back to, uh, you know, war games and disenfranchised youth sitting around trying to hack into, uh, you know, corporate systems for the giggles and for their own kind of reasons have gone. There's a lot more organized crime involved now. I think the rewards are very large. The risks are, um, you know, are pretty small. The attacks are getting much, much more sophisticated. And that's only going to increase. I think three quarters, 75% of UK businesses had some kind of cyber incident last year. Uh, and still, the vast majority of those were some kind of human error. So the ability for businesses to be tripped up now are very real. And, and also one of, the, one of the biggest problems, of course, is that the, the most vulnerable people within the business are, are the most senior people. So what we're seeing is uh, we're seeing less mass email hoping to, uh, you know, to get one one person tricked into clicking on a link. We're now going to very targeted spear phishing attacks. You know, it's it's much easier to profile somebody who's senior. There's a lot more information available. You can tailor a one email with a very high chance of pressing the right buttons to get an action happening. And if you do have that, you know, um, it, the, the reward is much greater. You know, senior executives, they have much wider access to sensitive systems so if it's a crypto virus they're going to be able to um, infect many more systems if it's a piece of spyware then obviously what what you've got is you've got much more juicy information being uh, being key logged from your senior execs than you have from your from your junior admin so that's the biggest threat that we're you know that we're that we're facing at the moment and of course what uh, what people tend to ignore is that you know those those threats don't really don't really care where you are. They don't you know our, our our traditional mitigation strategy was one of well look we've got a data center we've got servers which are, are sat in a comms room in our office or a data center. The reality is that we were you know we were we were a wildebeest in the middle of the herd if you like. Our greatest defense was our anonymity. Now, of course, people are adopting hyperscale clouds. People, people want to, and quite rightly so, they should leverage Azure and AWS and others. Uh, but of course, what we're creating with that is a watering hole where actually everybody is now congregating and gathering. So what, we, what we're unable to do as, as businesses is we're able to assess our own risk and our own likelihood of attack, but we're very we're not able to understand the the risks that other people who we might be sharing a sharded instance of a hyperscale cloud uh, what their risks are. So we can't adequately defend ourselves. 
there's a there's a very new era of of changing threats and businesses um to you know to my mind aren't 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 really addressing that properly we're uh, we're saying there's a cyber risk but actually you know the, the cyber risk the spyware risk versus crypto virus risk versus a distributed denial of service you know they're all very different risks and their mitigation strategies are very different um, so there's still a lot of work to be done I think to get um, to get certainly small businesses um, and, and medium-sized businesses into a position where they can effectively mitigate against that all right thanks for that and I think the the main thing that often comes up for people in hearing about risks and, and what should be done and best practice to prevent those uh, and to or to lower those risks is that will never happen to me um, so if we take it back to the realities we know it does happen and the statistics that you've mentioned certainly indicate that but Pete what sort of impact have you seen disaster recovery having on on client business over the last couple of years because something that I think people often think when they when they hear about the need for continuity planning and the need for disaster recovery is that'll never happen to me disaster recovery is always been an area that um, you know organizations know they should address but the age-old problem with disaster recovery is how do I do this in a in one a cost-effective manner but also in a in a way where it will actually work if I um, if I need to push the button, and um, this is where we're seeing customers really find cloud-based solutions to be very um, cost-effective and much more practical than, say, dual data center approaches. So historically, our customers, particularly the one in, ones in finance, have gone down the you know dual data center approach, where you have a standby data center essentially powered down and a massive amount of costs that goes with that and then also it's very hard to test but now we're seeing our customers look to um, utilize cloud-based solutions where they can essentially rent some disaster recovery space but not pay the full dollar for it and, and also utilize technologies to allow them to um, to test them albeit in, in isolation so um, uh, one of the questions I had for Peter was you know, are you seeing customers opening up to using more cloud-based solutions versus on-prem? Um, because you know, three, four years ago, there was a, a bit of a stigma around you know cloud, and people didn't really trust it, and it was all a bit suspicious. Are, are you seeing a change in the sort of psyche of the, the customers in the industry? Definitely, that's um, that's the case. I think the the adoption curve has been marred with a bit of hesitation. And reluctance, but I think uh, mass adoption is is now there. And, in, and interestingly, I think uh, the initial part was perhaps the you know the, the technical departments within companies being you know un, uncomfortable perhaps about letting go of the infrastructure layer that they built up over many years. If I can just touch on something you said at the start of this which was about you know, organizations and, and IT departments and CIOs don't really want to necessarily spend their time and effort having people doing the, the lower level operations and keeping the lights on. They want to focus on, on you know, using IT and technology for, for innovation. And I, I think that's quite a good message for IT people out there listening to this is that times are changing as IT always does. And I think the way I view IT and, and cloud adoption is, isn't so much that it's 
threatening your ability to work in IT, um, but it's offering new opportunities to maybe work slightly further up the stack. And I think it's um, you know it's, it's an opportunity for people to um, update their skill sets and and appreciate that maybe some of the infrastructure work is going to be outsourced to cloud providers, but it just means there's an opportunity to upskill and um, you know focus on um, areas um, f- further up the stack. Okay, and I completely agree with that. I think um, I think there's so much innovation around you know leveraging the systems, the applications, and and the data that businesses use for you know much better effect. And I think the technical departments can can really be at the you know at, at the center of kind of driving those changes of efficiency and how to make customers and businesses work better and leveraging uh, the application layer for much better effect and i think once you get rid of the the flashing lights there's a new level as you say of working up the stack that becomes available just to touch on one of the points um, that you that you made, Pete, as well, which I thought was was really interesting and, and valid, is DR as a service absolutely is is the kind of perfect fit for the cloud model. Where traditionally you you were saying that cloud it allows you to put uh, more resource higher up the stack and and drive efficiencies back and innovation back into the business using technology. The reality is what you're doing from a cost perspective is you're aligning your usage exactly with your capacity. So you're getting over that standard depreciation cycle of saying, well, look, I'm buying infrastructure now and I'm going to depreciate that over three to five years. So I've got to make a judgment on capacity now based on what I feel the business is going to need in three years time. And actually, really, I'm either going to over-provision to be safe, which means I'm overspending or I'm going to under-provision, which means that if the business grows, we're going to be having to add and an upgrade kit before actually we were ready to. So that's a good argument. But with DR, it really is an absolutely perfect financial fit because 99% of the time, you know, that kit is idle and and you're turning down your CPU and you're turning down your RAM to, you know, as close to zero as the replication workloads will allow. But then should you have a disaster or your biannual DR test, you're just turning that up and you're only really incurring any kind of computing RAM charges for those points in time. It's very much like a story I, I heard from a, a CTO at one of the charities where um, he was explaining the, the problem that uh, Comic Relief had, where they'd built this kind of four million pound infrastructure and they just didn't know what to do with it for the, you know, for the 350 odd days of the year outside the kind of couple of weeks that they were hammering it. But they didn't have that choice. And, and DR really kind of fits into that bracket of cost efficiency as well. Mm. So perhaps just touching on the, the cloud based model, how are you seeing clients move towards using that? Peter? For our SME customers, the the adoption is is largely with Azure, and people are very comfortable with that. They're comfortable with the technical stack, and so really a lot of businesses they don't want to reinvent the wheel. They just you know they feel very comfortable 
some of our larger businesses, they want to re-architect and especially around kind of web scale, they really want to be using Amazon. And some people or a lot of people that, you know, we talk to do have that attitude, well, you know, look, we're going to architect it and it's Microsoft's problem or it's Amazon's problem. We're not going to protect those workloads. We have sometimes quite, you know, spirited debates, obviously, about why they should make sure that no matter where they're going, they have adequate protection, because mainly because of the cyber threat. But also, you want to be able to have some kind of, you know, resilience outside these hyperscale clouds, in, in our opinion, at least, anyway. Okay, so if we just touch on that. If you were talking to the management team and perhaps even some of the technical team of one of these businesses and they were starting to think about putting in place some, some best practice business continuity, what would that involve? So really we would always start from the other way and do the business impact analysis and the gap analysis. So really normally when you start with those two basic elements then everything else becomes clear. A lot of people, what they do is they mitigate for the risk. So they're not mitigating for the impact of that risk. We can go in and we can talk to businesses about their critical services. And we start at really at the application layer and the service layer. And we say, we understand What's the impact of not having your, your HR system available or your payroll system available or your accounting system? And sometimes, depending on the business, they can be really small. You can go into a very large business and say, what happens if you don't have your payroll system? And of course, it could depend on the time of the month that they lost it. But quite a lot of people have an attitude of saying, well, we'd just, we'd just phone up the bank and we'd pay everybody exactly what we paid them last month and then we would worry about the anomalies should there be any but really by understanding the services that the business consumes you can understand then the risks that are pertinent to those systems and then we can map out the the mitigation strategies around that we very rarely talk with the business certainly about technology and certainly when we're talking to the board they really don't care what Active Directory server or what app cluster or, or what bit of what SAN um, drives their ERP system. But what we should be able to say is, is, look, we can disaggregate the service that the business uses to the underlying infrastructure layer. And we will just sit and we'll say, your CRM or your ERP platform, how long can it be down? How long can the business operate and continue without that? And that will then inform the technology that we will, will implement to meet the uh, RTOs and also inform the kind of the risks that are available to that system. And as well as that, it also has a huge benefit of getting the buy-in of the business as well as the technology teams, because largely technology teams will go to the business and they'll say, we want to spend this money to protect the underlying IT infrastructure and the business will see it as an IT cost and budget it as such. But really, if, if the business kind of see it as um, more of a, an operational imperative, it empowers the technology teams to, uh, to put in best practice around that. 
Mm. And that's good to hear. I mean, I'm sure, Pete, that you'd be glad if most decisions on, on technology and, and strategy began in the boardroom rather than with technical. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think reality is somewhere um, in, in between. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, so, so Peter, when a business is looking at continuity and starting to plan for it, what are some of the common mistakes that you see people making that you would like to make them aware of when they go into this process? I think the biggest one is the one that I touched on before. One of the most common mistakes is that uh, people plan for risk events. They don't plan for the impact that those events have. And what I mean by that is people would plan for a fire or a flood or a riot, as we had in London a few years ago. Whereas actually what people should be planning for is the outcome, you know, fire and a flood. We've lost access to our underlying IT infrastructure. So that's the impact. And that, that mitigation is the, is the strategy. And I think the reason for that is that there are a lot of risks. There's probably somewhere between 60 and 75 risks that we see on the London Risk Register that our vast majority of our customers plan for. But the impact of those risks are, are probably 10 or 20. So plan for impact, not for risk, is one of the main pieces of advice we would give. Some of the others would be when you're analyzing risk, um, a lot of people just won't give due deference to the different aspects of risk. And again, I touched on this before. So a cyber risk. Okay, what does a cyber risk look like? I mean, cyber risks are very, very different. A DDoS attack, social engineering, spear phishing, phishing, a crypto virus. They're very different in their impact and they're very different in their mitigation strategy. So make sure that you're addressing the right risks in the right way. And finally, but by no means least, this is the key to the whole choosing match, really, which is test. You need to test and test regularly. Don't test to a runbook. Stick to your runbooks and make sure that the runbooks are fit for purpose. And test in anger. Don't do soft testing. Make sure that you are testing when the impacts to the business could be the greatest. A lot of businesses will say, well, no, we're not going to test now because it's the end of the month. We're not going to test now because we've got this big client project going on. We're not going to test now because the CTO is, is on holiday. Well, actually, you need to test to a reality that you need to be prepared for. So those are some of the, the kind of the key takeaways, I think, that I would leave people with. Okay, very good. And in terms of the mistakes you see people making, I guess it would be the inverse of each of those, that they're soft testing, that they are not thinking about the impact, but are thinking about the, the risk. Yeah, mistakes people make certainly around the lack of understanding. I mean, you know, we see people who make decisions based on a, a set of criteria without taking continuity into, into account. And what I mean by that is you might be a hedge fund and you might say, well, look, actually, we need to keep our financially regulated data for seven years. But actually, we've got a lot of data here which doesn't have a regulation and to save costs, what we're going to do is we're just going to put a retention rule on that of two years or a year, and then you're hit by a crypto 
virus and you can't you don't have a regression strategy of, of getting that data back effectively so those kind of tabletop testing of scenarios is very right. good to augment a test and what people sometimes overlook is the fact that backing up data and replicating data is incredibly easy to do and um, you know and, and it's one of the arguments that we make when we go out to the market is look anybody can do the BAU bit of what we do but what really is very difficult is bringing up a 25 server estate or a 50 server estate or 100 servers or you know or even a you know even just a three server cluster and delivering services back to a business in the event of a, a disaster so I think understanding the complexities of, of restoration is is very big. And, and also, I think uh, a lot of people don't realize that when they are in a disaster, the last thing that they want to be doing is creating a split brain. So what do you mean? By for that? example, well, so what I mean by a, a split brain is if you have a widespread IT system failure, you don't want your um, IT team bringing up, managing, and focusing on, on your disaster recovery. You want them to be focused on fixing the problem in production and getting your main systems back up and, and running and, and operation. So a lot of people, when they look at doing DR themselves, they look at, well, yes, actually, we could do that quite easily. We have the skills in-house. It's not that complicated. But what they don't fully understand is their ability to manage both a, a recovery of the DR infrastructure and the troubleshooting and uh, problem solving of the production at the same time. I see. I see. Thank you. All right. In closing, um, where do you see the future heading in terms of business continuity planning and DR and, and the cloud? Well, certainly when we talk about our, our roadmap, we generally work to a 36-month innovation cycle. So our big innovation in the last 12 and, and for the next two years is going to be around adding new, new innovation to our cyber-resilient DR as a service platform and our work around both DR as a service into Azure and into AWS, from AWS to Azure, um, and really giving people the ability to manage those continuity of workloads across hyperscale clouds. And then beyond that, really, I think it then is, it does become around uh, much more of a complexity around data silos and interconnectedness of, of software as a service business process as a service and platform as a service. People want to use Salesforce and Salesforce is going to be connected to Eloqua or Marketo and uh, we want to use Xero as our accounting system and we want to use Box and we want to have Microsoft Office 365. And actually, as we move into that world, what we need to be able to understand is the threat again is going to change. We don't think we're going to lose all of our systems, but what we need to understand is, is in a cloud-connected world and a SaaS-based world, what the impact of the business and the mitigation strategy of losing certain elements of our ability to deliver services to our customers. It's an interesting future, and 
you know, one that I think is going to have its challenges, but also um, it's going to be interesting to solve. Yes, agreed. Now, in terms of finding out more and and hearing more of what you have to, to give in terms of advice, I, I'm aware that you have a podcast, I believe. Yes, we do. So what we have started to put together, and I think our, our first episode is out now, and we've got others uh, in the pipeline, is a podcast which basically brings business continuity and disaster recovery professionals together and to just share insights and best practices and stories of when they got things right and when they got things wrong, lessons learned. And it's, it really is just, you know, a, a kind of high level sharing of views from the coalface and, and from people that have been in, in continuity and, and risk management for many, many years. Very good. And, and as I understand it, it is called the Business Continuity Podcast, which is easy to remember. Yeah, that's right. And uh, yes, can be found at thebcpcast.com. Very good. And I believe that you can be found at databarracks.com. We can be found at databarracks.com. And yeah, I can be found at Peter Grokert uh, on on Twitter. And uh, anything that I can do to inform the conversation or if anybody wants to get in touch with me and, and find out a little bit more about disaster recovery and, and business continuity services and I'd be more than happy to chat. Very good. Pete, any final comments or questions before I wind things up? Yeah, I think it's um, been, been great from my side. I've got, not, got no further questions, um, but I'd certainly like to um, maybe have, have some conversations following this. Very good. Peter, thank you for your time. Thank you for your thoughts and see you next time. Oliver, it's been very good to speak to you and thanks ever so much for, uh, for inviting me on. It's much appreciated. It's a pleasure. That brings us to the end of another episode of Cloud Insiders. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And to find out more and access show notes and downloads, head over to cloudinsiders.fm. You can track us on Twitter at Cloud Insiders and we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. See you next time. This episode was brought to you by Data Barracks, leading provider of cloud infrastructure, disaster recovery, and backup services. To find out more, head over to databarracks.com.